Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Brisnet.com, Twinspires.com podcast. This time it's How to Bet the Belmont Stakes. We've been through the Kentucky Derby. We've been through the Preakness. Now it is time for the final tool of the Triple Crown. And more so than the other two, uh, especially without a Triple Crown on the line, the Belmont Stakes is as much about the race itself which, of course, very prestigious is the test of the champion, uh, but also the Belmont Stakes uh, Week Festival, uh, racing Thursday, Friday, Saturday, stakes galore on Saturday, some good races Thursday and Friday, including some stakes as well. And, uh, you know, the Derby has the Oaks and Derby Day cards, and they're both fantastic. Uh, Preakness as well, big stakes on Black Eyed Susan and Preakness Days, but really neither compares. Uh, to what Belmont does for its Belmont Stakes Festival. Grade ones galore on Saturday, stakes throughout the week. Uh, Certainly we'll touch on the Belmont Stakes on this first episode, uh, but really wanted to get just an overview of the week, uh, talk some money management with Scott Shapiro, and uh, just look ahead to what should be a a great week of racing. And uh, as we get later and later in the week, we'll discuss horses and specific opinions, et cetera. But uh, first for an overview and just some general, uh, you know, wagering ideas, how to use your bankroll and things like that, uh, I will bring on Scott for some chatter. And here he is. Scott, how are you? Good, Ed. Welcome back. Hope the move went well and you're settling into the Ville in uh, good shape. Settling in, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, moved last week from Lexington, and uh, we'll have my first uh, flight out of uh, Louisville Airport on Wednesday as I head east uh, for the Belmont Stakes, so looking forward to that and looking forward to being on site for not only the big day Saturday but uh, live racing throughout the week. And, you know, I, I started by saying to me this, the Belmont Stakes is unique in that uh Really, the the Friday and Saturday cards at Belmont are much more hyped uh, than the undercards of the previous two races. And the Derby card is good, but it's overshadowed by the Derby. I mean, the Derby's the Derby, and uh, it would take an extraordinary horse to even get a couple column inches uh, over the Derby. Uh, And the Preakness uh, has a lot of stakes, but no grade ones. The only grade one is the Preakness itself. Uh, And then that brings us to the Belmont, which does have a ton of grade ones. It's New York racing. It's a circuit almost everyone pays attention to anyway. And to me, it just feels a little different than the other weeks leading up to a triple crown race. Totally agree. I think a combination of things makes it that much more exciting for myself. One, like you mentioned, I follow the New York uh, racing association circuit much more diligently than um, either of the other two uh, circuits, Kentucky and Maryland, uh, year-round. Um, you also mentioned how the racing is, you know, you don't want to you don't want to discredit either of the other two cards, but this is this is as good as the Breeders' Cup or close to it. Um, you have a plethora of graded race stakes races. You have good races uh, day one and day two, which is of the festival, which is Thursday and Friday. And, you know, it's just a real special time. And and I think a little bit of it, you know, I think the fact that the Belmont in many years is not going to ever live up to the Derby in terms of uh, its history, but also just in terms of 
there's so much to break down when it comes to the Derby because there's so much more, you know, it's so much more um, of a wild card with 20 horses never having faced each other for the most part, other than a few here and there in their prep races and doing them, going the mile and a quarter, you know, after the Derby, it starts to sort things out a little bit. You get to the Preakness and, you know, the, the public narrows it down to a couple of horses and then you get to the Belmont and you don't want to say it's an afterthought because by no means is it, but, you know, there, there's just not the same hype around that, the three-year-old class, um, unless there's the Triple Crown. So a combination of things makes it just, just you know, the whole card more, uh, more about, you know, more about the whole card than it is just about the one race. However, the Belmont is always a great betting race, whether you have a, a logical favorite, you know, uh, in the Triple Crown uh, contender uh, to play against, or you have uh, just a number of horses trying the mile and a half for the first time. It definitely is a great way to end what it should be a great wagering uh, menu throughout the three days. Yeah, 100 uh, percent. Now, uh, the, the good news is uh, I get paid on Friday. The bad news is I get paid on Friday, um, which is sort of the the entree into the uh, money management aspect of a, of a big race week. And, you know, certainly this could apply to uh, any of the, the big day festival type things, Breeders' Cup, Oaks Derby, et cetera. Um, but I, I thought it was a, a good handicapping topic that applied this week, but also could, you know, offer some uh, some uh, insight into to wagering on a, on a day-to-day basis. And, you know, m- most betters, uh, they they have a big role, uh, you know, even pros are, you know, working from a line of credit, so to speak. Uh, but, you know, the, the weekend warrior types, people who like the big days, the, the festival days, we all have sort of a target that, uh, not to be pessimistic, but, you know, for lack of a better phrase, that we're willing to lose. And a lot of players, uh, you know, it's a big week and you can come out guns blazing and before you know it, uh, you're either extending yourself uh, to continue betting or you're leaving yourself short for maybe some better opinions uh, on Friday and Saturday or on Saturday if you play Friday. Uh, what's your approach in terms of sort of balancing that money management and uh, giving yourself, uh, you know, the, the best bullets possible for your best opinions? Well, in terms of being just, you know, the, the professional, if you will, I think it's, it's as important as possible before you, you know, figure out how much you want to spend on each day to try to try to handicap each card, all three cards before you get to Thursday. I know they make it a little difficult drawing on Wednesday, but this way you can gauge what your, where your strongest opinions lie. You know, for, you know, both entertainment sake and, and the big races, you're going to want to get involved, whether it's whether you're a win better exact it better in each race or whether you're a, a multi-race better with, you know, the, the big pools they're going to have. So, you know, you're going to want to put some of that aside, but it's real important to know you, your strongest opinion of the weekend could be in the wonder again on Thursday. If that's the case, you want to allocate more of your, you know, a greater percentage of your budget to Thursday. Um, if, if Thursday is not, you know, there's not a lot on that card, or if you find that all three days you kind of have equal opinions and, you know, you want to take a shot at the big pools, but there's there's nothing, um, you know, nothing that sticks out. Then that might change how you go about things. So to me, that's the most important way to get things started. And then from there, you know, you, you said you have your set balance, whether that's $100 a day for someone, $1,000 a day, $1,000 for the weekend. 
you know, that, that's, that's a personal thing. But I can think back to, to days going um, to Garden State Park, you know, my late teens, early 20s, and, you know, you'd have $200 maybe or something for the three days. And, man, it was almost impossible to not dive into, you know, way more than you should have on a Thursday. And then you're, you know, scraping by on hoping to have $25 on, uh, on Saturday. So definitely leave yourself, I would suggest, you know, in a day like this, you probably want to save half your bankroll for Saturday. I don't know. How, how do you how do you go about it? Well, I definitely think, um, and I don't play this way typically. Um, you know, I, I play almost every day, so I, I can't look that far ahead time-wise um, and always help sort of handicapping when scratches are out. But having said that, I completely agree uh, with the approach that you want to – um, you want to look at all three days and, and just have a lay of the land of where you might most want to to attack. And uh, I personally am, am not a fan of saying, oh, okay, I want to make sure I have half for Saturday and half of that for the Belmont States. I mean, we all know we want to play Saturday. We all know we're going to want to play the biggest race. But uh, like you said, I mean, your top opinion might be in a – pick three on Friday or, you know, a couple singles on Thursday that you want to build around. And to me, you definitely want to give yourself, you know, the best chance of, of winning on the weekend while recognizing that, yeah, I'm, I'm playing Saturday no matter what. So what does that mean for your bankroll? Think about it and play accordingly. But, um, yeah, don't don't go too far ahead on Thursday without handicapping Friday and Saturday because, to me, it's, it's a whole weekend for sure. You know, I mean, there's separate days and separate races, but uh, to me, it's it's a lot of opportunity. And I, I think we talked about this with Oak Derby. You know, there's only a few weekends a year where the pools are so big and the horses are so good that you could legitimately really like a 10, 20 to one horse who could make your year. And, you know, on a Thursday at Churchill, 10 or 20 to one is nice. You know, maybe you bet to win. Maybe you get lucky in a pick four and it pays nice. But you get that type of horse on a day like Belmont Day and you're in a position for a score, if not of a lifetime, certainly, like I said, that can make your year. So to me, that's why you want to look at all three days and really zero in on what, to me, gives you your best opportunity for a rainmaker. Yeah, definitely, definitely, Ed. And, and you know, as we uh, have shorter fields on some of these, you know, regular days as regular everyday horse players, we might have to modify our strategies. And we've talked about this a little bit off the air. But it certainly uh, is not the case on a day like this. Um, some of these sequences, uh, you know, you're going to have a 14 or 16 horse field in the Belmont, um, you know, just right there. Even if you like Classic Empire as the favorite, you know, you're going to have opportunity um, to, to, to spread maybe in single to him. And then if not, you're going to have huge opportunities to close out in the big race. One thing that I didn't mention, though, is um, you, you kind of touched on how it's, a, it's one long weekend. Or to me, I kind of look at these situations that I mentioned in another, um, I forget what it was. But to me, you know, you, you, if you're an everyday player or even if you're playing for a three-day period of time, you, you want to make sure you're not ever getting in chase mode. Um, especially on Thursday. Let's say you, you fall behind on Thursday. Do not increase your bets just because you're behind. 
that's why to me, I know it's hard to handicap completely, um, especially if you're a win better or an, you know, an individual race better, because you definitely want to try to get a look at the horses and, of course, try to get a look at the tote board. But, you know, don't increase your, your wagers um, just because you're down. Or even, you know, I don't mind people increasing their wagers when they're ahead. That, that, that's a, you know, kind of more of an opinion to me. But you just don't want to start increasing your wagers on Thursday if you take a bad beat and, and go on tilt a little bit. So that's important to me. And, um, yeah. And then, you know, as a player of the horizontals, for the most part, on a day like this, I'm sure there'll be a few horses I'll want to bet in individual races. But for the most part, I'll key in on, you know, the, the, the pick fours, the pick fives, things like that. Probably not the pick six. But, but you can, you know, map out your strategies in those well ahead of time. Granted, scratches, you know, you might have to adapt to scratches, but what you want to have to adapt to is the odds on the tote board and how a horse looks because you're going in blind on that no matter what. Um, that's a disadvantage in terms of betting the, the horizontal wagers, not knowing those things, but it's an advantage that you, you know, know you're not going to be able to react to those things. So you can kind of get an idea who your singles might be, where your spreads might be, and, and how much you want to put in each sequence. And uh, for me, sort of the variations on don't chase and don't increase your money when or the amount of base bet when chasing um, agree with. Uh, to me, going into the, the weekend and why I sort of say, hey, if you're playing all three days, think about that is, you know, th- this is my bankroll for the three days. If you're playing Friday, Saturday, same thing. But um, I would say one of the big mistakes, people make uh, is they they say, you know, I have $100, so that's $50 a day, or I have $500 for, uh, you know, the, the 10 pick fours, and that's $50 a pick four. And people, like, shoehorn their play to fit that budget. And it goes both ways. They'll have, you know, a $24 play, and they'll say, oh, I can add a horse and for 48 because they have 50 to spend, or they'll have a $96 play they love and they'll cut a horse because they, you know, need to make it 48 or 54. And to me, that's just, that's terrible. Like never do that. <laughs> so uh, that that is another reason why sort of looking at the sequence from, uh, or looking at the three days ahead of time and figuring out where you're comfortable and yeah, spend 96 if you think that's what the sequence merits it. Or maybe there's another one where you're going to spend 24 or maybe you have, you know, three stone-cold singles or horses you love where you can maybe hit it for 4 or $6 or, you know, whatever you're comfortable with. Um, but, you know, playing in that vein to me is a lot – set yourself up for success more than saying, you know, I have X amount and I'm going to play, you know, I'm going to divide it equally over the three days or over these bets and save some for the Belmont. Um, to me, that's a big problem. I notice people have these big race days and it doesn't matter your budget. If you have 20 bucks, that doesn't mean that, you know, $4 uh, race over five races, find the race you like best and bet 10. And if you need the action, which I certainly appreciate, I love action. I'm playing every race, just bet two on, on the other races, but figure out what your best opinions are and make sure you put yourself in a position to press them accordingly. Yeah, not every sequence is created equal, you know. There's there's going to be some that, you know, might look like you need to, you know, spread in three of the four races, 
And then there's going to be others that, you know, I don't know what the menu will look like yet, but let's just say you're going to, you know, you know, right now that you, you either love, you love Songbird, you don't think she can lose and, and you love classic empire, certain sequences where, you know, you'll like the short priced horse and you're going to single them. Well, they might not require the same, same budget. Or on the other hand, let's say, okay, I, I'm against Songbird. I, I think she can win, but, but she's going to get over bad. I'm not sure the mile and a 16th one turn is for her. I think though Karina Mia and a few others are sitting on big races. You know, those might be sequences where you want to spread deeper because there is that big chance for a big payout because you're already playing against the most logical single. So I totally agree with you. Don't pigeonhole yourself to setting it up. What you're doing by doing that, you know, I guess if you're into it just for the entertainment value, maybe that's something you want to consider. But I assume everybody listening to this podcast wants to be a winning horse player. Um, you know, no, I mean, you know, that's one thing that we kind of, you know, never really take into account is that some people are just doing this for entertainment and, and you know, they, they know they're going to lose in the long run and, you know, whatever. But, you know, if you want to be a winning horse player, you got to differentiate the bankroll over different sequences and different races. Right. Well, and to me, even if you're, uh, I mean, even if it's entertainment, you know, hey, in the long run, I'm gambling and I want, you know, having fun. But if you're taking the time to handicap and you have an opinion on a race, then certainly you should have an opinion on which races you have the strongest opinion on. Um, And to me, that's a big part of being a successful horse player. And by successful, I don't necessarily mean winning, although that's nice, but successful is in more successful. Improving your game is knowing, it's having opinions on your opinions. And, uh, you know, that's, something that I work on on a daily basis because I'm a multi-race better. And, you know, it used to be, hey, I handicapped this pick four. I'm going to play it come hell or high water. And I'm learning that, you know what, this isn't a sequence I have a good handle on. And, you know, like I said, I love action. I'm still going to play a token, you know, eight, $16 play sort of insanity insurance with my A's. But if, if I don't love it, if I'm thinking, man, there's a lot of horses here I, I'm scared of that I wouldn't want to let beat me on a big ticket, I'm learning to pass, and that's sort of a, a tangent. But it's just sort of my point that, you know, have opinions on your opinions and then uh, play accordingly. But you're, you are right. If, if this is completely entertainment for you and, you know, you bet numbers or something like that, well, then by all means, just divide the money up because that's, actually the smarter way to play. Why, If you're picking numbers, why would you bet more on some other random number versus another one? So um, you are right. Yeah, I, I think, you're, I think you're, uh, you, you, you hit it on the head, though. And I think what, what – I'm not a big fan of the ABC grid that, you know, not that I'm not a fan of you doing it, but me personally, I, I don't use that kind of system. I kind of structure my tickets based on my opinions. But what those ABC grids do is kind of um, give you a way of laying out, you know, your opinions. And maybe if you just – you know, if you can't come up with many A's in a sequence, you probably don't like it enough. And if you're – Three. If you have three A's and a pick four sequence, and all three of them are going to be six to five or lower, well, maybe you sit it out, or maybe you play a cold ten dollar pick four for entertainment and try to, you know, turn your turn turn it into you know five a five to one or ten to one win price. You know, that's that's kind of you know sequence specific, but but you're right. You know, having an opinion on your opinions is kind of a funny thing to say, but but it is important. Know know which 
sequences are ones that you, you want to really attack and which ones, you know, you're playing only for entertainment because, you know, most, most horse players are going to, on a day like this, are going to play all or most of the races. Well, very few people are, are um, patient enough to just sit it out. But if you're right on your 10 to one shot, like you mentioned, or 20 to one shot, you want to make sure you win that day. Maybe, okay, you gave back 10% of it by, you know, wanting to entertain yourself. You know, not ideal, but but just realistic as a horse, you know, as a fan of the sport. But make sure you're pressing up and pushing your your, your most uh, confident or, you know, best value opinions. 100%. And uh, one thing you, you mentioned, uh, you know, and they haven't come out with the sequence yet, though I'd be – I mean, with Songbird in there, maybe I guess maybe it won't be part of the pick four that ends in the Belmont. Uh, but like you said, she's coming off a layoff. She's going to be bet very heavy. Uh, and, you know, between her, a Met Mile that has no standout, uh, Manhattan that if you beat the Visadero, who knows what could happen. And then a, a Belmont where if you're against Classic Empire, I mean, a lot of ifs there, but certainly opinions I could see people having. Um, just those four things alone, um, we're talking about a five-figure pick-four payout. And if you think that could happen, you want to make sure you have the capital to see it through by the time Saturday afternoon rolls around. And it can be really hard to sit on your hands, and maybe you have a few winners go by on Thursday and Friday. But that, that to me, is an example of looking at a sequence and – if you think you can beat Songbird and, you know, you have some opinions on the Belmont and the Manhattan against the Visadero and Classic Empire, to me that's like the perfect example of how you have to make sure you, you have the money because, you know, not being able to play a pick four for 144 and instead you play it for, you know, 72 or 54 or something like that and it costs you 10 grand because you didn't use your fifth choice in the, the Met Mile um, while trying to beat Songbirds. Like, those are the things, to me, I, I think are worth thinking about now. Um, and later in the week, we'll get to actual opinions on the races. But that, to me, is the strength of looking at, at the races now. Not coming up with a pick, but just figuring out where, you know, those big payouts might come from. Definitely, definitely. I think that's the advantage of the that's the other advantage of, of putting an extra you know, if you decide to put extra money into cards like this is that while we the card isn't drawn yet, you know, you can really start to formulate your opinions and you know, just, just basic basic stuff like you may not know that you who you like against Songbird and how deep you want to go, but you know that you don't think she's, you know, invincible in this spot and you know you're gonna want to take a shot. Now my guess would be um, the Ogden Phipps, I don't think, is usually in the last four races. I'm not sure if that's based on the fact that it's usually, a, you know, a smaller field or what the reason is. I, I, I don't know. I mean, some of the renditions that's that I actually, envision now are, that Now that I think about it, you're right. And the reason why is because they go turf, dirt, turf, dirt. Um, so I would anticipate the, the just a game is probably the first play. It's going to be a heck of a sequence. I mean, no matter, you know, without, without the Songbird race. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. And, you know, you mentioned DeVisadero, who loves Churchill and elsewhere runs big races but doesn't seem to win quite as often. <clears throat> That's a horse I could certainly see people taking a stand against. And you know that while the public will be on Classic Empire, you know that the majority of, of 
everyday horse players that seek value or opportunities are probably going to be against Classic Empire um, just because of the, the distance questions, the lack of wins the last two races, and more importantly, just it's going to get overbet in many, many places. And it's going to be hard. If you have an opinion outside uh, in the Belmont outside of Classic Empire and a strong one where you're not going to have to spread, you're going to be at a distinct, a distinct advantage over the rest of uh, the folks. Because I'm looking at the race, and you know I could see going four or five deep and without even thinking about it, and, and have no clue who I would you know single um, in that situation. So yeah, start to formulate the opinions for Saturday, even without the even without the PPs and without the entries being drawn. It'll help you uh, you know get an idea for what you want to do the days before. But like like we both mentioned. Definitely do not be afraid if you have a strong opinion on the other days to, to to try to press up and try to try to get a good start on the weekend and, and don't be afraid to lose in that situation because you want to be entertained through the weekend. You know, you may not I know I'm not gonna have a, a super strong opinion in the Belmont. My opinion will probably be to, to, to use horses outside of Classic Empire in a horizontal sequence and hope I get there. You know, that's that's what I see now. I'm sure as the week goes on I'll start to get a better feel for the race and I'll make picks and whatnot. But, but, you know, there could be a race like the intercontinental for, for one. I haven't gotten to dive into the PPs yet. I'm trying to get caught up on all the rest of my work before I do uh, get moving to Belmont. But let's say I have a strong opinion on the intercontinental. Well, I'm not going to not use a good percentage of my budget because I want to be able to play a sequence that I don't have a strong opinion in, you know, that that's, that's kind of the, the, the flip. Uh, up to, to saving your money for the big day. Yep, and you know, also, uh, you know, to me, don't don't be afraid. Uh, you know, if the, you're not comfortable with the sequence around a strong opinion, um, you know, there's there's always win betting, which is I'd say that more uh, for myself than anyone else. Uh, you know, I, you you put money into a, a pick four and. Uh, you know, you, you see it's the single roll home that you had a strong opinion of and you didn't even like the other races, uh, that doesn't always work out. So um, that's certainly something to, to keep in mind as well. Um, more on the festival uh, topic than um, money management, but um, it being New York, uh, certainly going to hear a lot of chatter, as we always do, about uh, alleged uh, biases and things like that, and uh, gets a little uh, complicated with the fact that, you know, big race days are often a lot different than other days anyway. How much stock are you going to put into how the track's playing Thursday and Friday uh, with your Saturday handicapping? It would have to be a very, very obvious bias for me to let that come in too much into play. Kind of like the uh, Breeders' Cup a few years back when uh, Beholder won the Distaff. Um, I forget what year it was. Maybe you know off the top of your head when it was just an obvious speed bias. But the thing is, is that when, when there's chatter like that, you know, there's a good chance that they're going to do something to the track the next day to try to make it more fair. So I'd be more likely to start watching the races on, you know, the beginning of the day, uh, you know, your 2 p.m. Eastern on Thursday. Uh, let's say I notice a bias and, you know, I'd be more likely to use it in the late pick four Thursday than to carry it forward on Friday or Saturday. So very limited uh, 
I'd be very limited in wanting to use that. And just to piggyback one, one quick thing off of uh, your discussion of a win bet, another bet that I just can't stress enough gets overlooked and is a, is a real good wager on days like this, especially if we don't have strong opinions in four straight, five straight races. It's a daily double. I know that they have um, a couple of uh, two-day guaranteed daily doubles, the New York uh, the the New York uh, with the Met Mile or the Met, uh, yeah, the Met Mile and then the Belmont Gold Cup, the Belmont Stakes. But, but even the, the just race six to race seven type daily double is something that you don't don't forget. Uh, don't forget to look at those and keep those in mind because they, they generally, you know, you can look back and see that one paid one hundred and ten dollars for on a two dollar bet that where, you know, two of your you know, quote unquote, a horse is one. And then you were clueless in the last two and you're like, geez, $10 double I, I, I would have been just fine. You know, so just something to think about. Yeah, with you for sure on, on the double, and uh, definitely, uh, I've actually the last, uh, I haven't had an opportunity in, in a while, but um, there's some things I do with always um, where two straight races line up. Uh, I've been playing some cold doubles, and it's. Um, very small sample size. It is profitable, but um, I mean, I could lose the next two and wouldn't be. So uh, that's sort of you know small sample size right now. But um, that that to me has been one of the you know tweaks where before I would be balls to the wall. Okay, how do I use these two horses in a pick four or a pick three? And it's like, well, wait a minute. If they're in two consecutive races and I don't. You know, I don't love the races around them. Why am I not looking at, at the double pool and um, agree 100%? And uh, definitely, and that goes back to the sort of the opinion on your opinion. Um, you know, that, that's that been a, a positive difference for me this year, um, short term. Hopefully it will continue, um, and more on that if it does. And if it doesn't, I'll never mention it again. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that. But, but, yeah, but uh, the, the, the double and you know using the wagering menu to your advantage to match your opinions is just it's part of being successful. Yes, but especially on a big day like this where there's so many options, there's additional options. They they flash the big guaranteed pools. Whether um, you know we all have our thoughts on 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 those, and that's a topic for a different day. But but it certainly you know opens people's eyes and they get marketed more on. Um, you know, on the on the track feeds and and whatnot. So definitely don't forget about the the wagers that are not getting marketed equally because they can be your friends too, and you can find some some real value. And and the doubles to me is just you know it depends on the track, what the takeout is, and how you know in, in these situations. But so often either I forget to do it, or when I remember to do it and it works, I'm like, geez, you know, I do all this pick five and pick four work and maybe I should just play daily doubles a whole lot more often. Yeah, no, they're, they're there. It, it, that's probably something more for Breeders' Cup. Um, but it's interesting because the, the doubles at, at the Breeders' Cup uh, actually pay less uh, than the, the parlay um, a lot more often than you'd expect. So, you know, to me that doesn't mean don't play them. It just means watch the pool and if, you know, the values there um, could be a, a much better use of your opinion than a pick three or pick four. Um, but at the same time, don't just say, oh, these are my two opinions and I'm going to play a double. 
because um, sometimes, you know, it's, it's a totally different pool and win odds aren't always, you know, they don't match up for various reasons. So um, another thing to think about on top of all, all the other things to think about when playing the horses. Uh, last question on the festival topic. Uh, it's at Belmont, uh, but big races mean big jockeys from all over the country. What's your weighting of and WEA, IGHT? weight um, of local jocks with Belmont experience versus, uh, you know, the, the SoCal guys or Leperu, Lannery, et cetera. Interesting you say that because I was thinking about it today when I was looking over the Belmont for the first time seriously. And I, I much prefer someone that's had a lot of success over this course or a lot of experience over this course. You know, not necessarily, it wouldn't have to necessarily be, over the last couple months or years. So maybe a guy like Mike Smith, who's ridden at Belmont plenty would be, would be, you know, would fit under this criteria, but it's certainly a unique course. It's massive, wide turns. Um, you need to know how to ride the course. There's a reason why certain guys have cut, you know, have such poor statistics coming in. Um, I know we heard about it a lot with American Pharaoh when he was going for the Triple Crown. I won't bring up any names on the jockey, but this jockey had uh, very poor statistics coming in, and it kind of led to probably one of the reasons why American Pharaoh wasn't one to five or two to five in that race um, because of his lack of, you know, and sometimes you're going to be on the best horse, and especially if it's a speed horse, it's not going to matter, but there certainly is a lot to, to knowing the Belmont Park uh, how to navigate it, saving ground, things like that, that uh, may not matter, you know, when you go to Churchill as much or Pimlico, just to name a few of the other big ones, or even Santa Anita out here. But uh, Belmont is a pretty pretty unique course, and I would certainly use, use, use it to your advantage to take uh, riders that have had plenty of experience over Big Sandy. Yeah, and, you know, certainly uh, Belmont, the main track, sort of gets the attention, and with the Belmont Stakes, uh, understandably why. But, you know, the, the turf courses are fairly unique, too. I, I mean, Woodbine's bigger. That's a mile and a half. But, I mean, really, uh, most of the turf courses in the U.S. are bullring style by other measures. If they were dirt tracks, we would call them bullring. I mean, Churchill, seven furlongs. Uh, Santa Anita is, you know, it's the downhill course, but, you know, the, the miles are tight two turns at Santa Anita and Del Mar for that matter. Um, so even the, the turf is definitely a different style. And um, to me, you know, we're thinking about, and that's the reason, you know, Julian Leperu uh, certainly takes his lumps uh, on the main track and um, has his critics, uh, you know, when he rides. But to me, given his success, at Keeneland, which is a, a little bigger turf, and at Woodbine, which is the bigger turf, and at Kentucky Downs, uh, certainly a rider I, I won't shy away from on the Belmont turf. Um, but it, it sure does seem like guys who ride Big Sandy, the, the main track, day in and day out, uh, you know, they, they just know it better, and it makes sense that they do. It's, it's totally different. Yeah, my only concern with a rider like Le Peru is, and I'm not sure – you know, with the with the limited sample, if it happens quite as much on Belmont Day uh, and over this, you know, bigger uh, bigger three days. But the way they with how, with the with the slow pay, early paces that they uh, consistently set um, over the, the the New York turf courses, 
being ultra patient is not as ideal as it is in other places. Now, saving ground is, you know, I was watching a race yesterday there, and you almost, you know, the guys that know what they're doing are, are certainly waiting longer to ask their horses. But being overly patient on the turf course is becoming problematic, and, and you know, that's the one thing to just keep in mind in a general sense, too, is in a lot of these turf races, you can handicap them, you know, with your with your pace projector or just however you, you know, try to come up with whether the pace will be contentious or hot or slow. But just remember that for some reason they, they tend to go slower most of the time. So, you know, not to bring an extra thing onto your plate when you handicap these races, but just uh, on a tangent there, that's something to think about on the turf course as well. For sure. Yeah. No, lot, lots to think about. And, uh, you know, a lot of times you'll, you'll see people approach th- these type of discussions as binary, like, oh, well, you, you know, you can't use in this situation or, oh, you can't use in that situation. But, you know, really it's just all about price and factoring in all these different elements to, you know, the odds you're willing to take. And, um, you know, a horse like Songbird who, um you know, might be one to five. Uh, it always shocks me that any horse is for anyone at one to five. But, um, you know, as much as I love her and will want her to win, and, you know, we'll see what I'm able to do with her in the Maltese and around her. But, um, you know, but the layoff alone and shipping east off the layoff in a huge, I mean, a huge race against a three-time champion or however many times champion Beholder was, um, you know, that all bakes into not willing to to assume this horse is going to win this race 83% of the time. So um, sort of an extreme example, but you know, that's what you got to do when, when playing any race is just think about what matters to you and how that affects the you want to take and go from there. So, um, but should be a, a great weekend and hopefully uh, between the two of us, we'll find some winners and maybe win together. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, we've, we've, I think we've given some good advice out on both of the, uh, you know, our, our plethora of, of podcasts in the first two legs of the Triple Crown, but we certainly, uh, you, you came a lot closer than I did to, to giving out a winner. Um, hopefully we can take advantage of the big pools a little more, although, you know, Preakness or Black Eyed Susan Day was good to me, but uh, that's not, wasn't quite in the same uh, limelight as Preakness Day or Oaks and Derby Day, but um, I'm looking forward to it. I'm starting to formulate some opinions um, in the Belmont and, uh, you know, the other races. I'm going to dive into Thursday uh, starting tonight. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, I wish that kind of wish they would to help us out. I wish they would draw some of these cards a little earlier for the big days, but maybe, you know, they want to give a little bit more attention to the days before it. I'm not sure the exact thinking on that, but um <laughs> But there's plenty. But there's plenty of there's plenty of good racing uh, starting Thursday and Friday to dive into as soon as now, and I'm really looking forward to it. We didn't even get to the best news about the weekend. What is that? Hence isn't in. Yeah, I mean, I don't get. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the uh, none of my money burners. That was the thing. I have to re reformulate my uh, my poor poor planning. Uh, the only horse that I've used, I guess there's two horses that I've used total in these uh, in these races so far. One of them, Irish War Cry, we both were uh, picked for second, I believe, maybe uh, in the Derby and had everything go uh, his way. I was just pretty poor. I, I think it'll be interesting 
uh, to see how the New Jersey bred runs. To me, Motion, not a guy that would force the issue in this race. So you would have to think that he at least believes she's, or sorry, he would at least believe he's doing well. And then I use Tappert. I picked Tappert for fourth in the Derby. And I think his running line does not give him nearly um, enough due to how he raced in there. I think, um, you know, Pletcher has had a lot more success in the Belmont than these other two races. I think he, he made somewhat of a move that really doesn't show on paper. And I think he is uh, certainly an interesting option and will be one that I'll, in some capacity, I'll be including on my tickets. Yeah, and, and for me, uh, I just have a hard time getting away from the two I picked in the Derby. Uh, Irish War Cry, I thought, ran well. I mean, he just ran out of gas, or I mean, I don't want to say it like that because I, you know, he has to go a mile and a half at a time. But just given where he was on the track versus the winner, I, I thought he ran fine, and um, we all know by now, I, I think Classic Empire. Uh, has the talent to win these races. Uh, unfortunately, the price keeps getting shorter, so I need to adjust my wagering accordingly. But it, it'll be tough for me to get past the my Derby picks. Um, you know, I thought they were the, the two best going into that race, and really, uh, not much has happened to steer me too far away from that opinion, other than uh, the price and just trying to figure out how to you know extract the most money from. Uh, figuring at least one of them will run well. So more on that you, later in the week, and uh, definitely want to touch on that huge guaranteed pick four, uh, some other plays as well. Hopefully we can uh, regroup uh, later this week. Sounds good. And real quick, what did you what did you expect Classic Empire's odds to be when all is said and done in this race with as large a field as it'll be? Yeah, I think the big field helps. Uh, I'm anticipating, you know, I thought odds on after the Preakness, but, you know, I think Irish War Cry takes money. Uh, a few others, obviously. Uh, seven to five, three to two. Okay. I can't imagine that's something you're going to be. Yeah, I mean, I haven't really thought about it. I, 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 The only way I'll be using him in the pick four is if I – you know, like other at least two other prices in the sequence, or think at least at least think there's vulnerable favorites. If I land on the other fa- two other favorites, uh, or they look relatively chalky, I'll, I'll just be taking a stand against them for value's sake. So I hadn't really thought about the win pool. I, I, I assume though, with the win the win wager is not something you'll be taking much part in. In that anyway, you'll probably just focus on the horizontals. Or am I incorrect in that? Yeah, no, I definitely – it's tough to like to win for sure. Uh, one thing I'll say last year, and, and pardon the red board, um, but one of the best decisions I made last year is I, I, I really thought Destin and Lonnie were sitting on big races, and the pick four was really tough. So I was like, okay, these are my two, and, and I played around with them as sort of my only A's in the race. But I thought – these two horses are going to run a big race. And I played the race that they both had to run well vertically and hit the biggest super of my life when creator won. Um, So it was one of those, I was wrong about the winner, but, you know, was able to play it such that I, to me, that was one of the best wagering I've ever done um, because I really hammered my opinion and, 
yeah, got a little lucky that, you know, the winner was a bigger price and not one of the favorites. But um, that that might be how I, I look at it this year is say, look, Classic Empire never runs a bad race. Even when he lost to Irish War Cry on the sheets, that race was fine. And, you know, even looking at these three-year-olds, it wasn't terrible. I mean, there were winning efforts that got similar numbers to his supposed dud. So you figure, okay, he'll run his race. Irish war crime I'm not going to give up on. How do I play it so that if that happens, you know, I'm going to get paid? And that's a lot harder because they're shorter prices than the two last year. Um, but to me, I'm, I'm definitely feeling my oats that, hey, if I have this opinion of who's going to run well, I can make money off it. Maybe it's vertically in the big field versus horizontally um, and then not have to worry about one of them winning and get the price on top. So those are some things I'm thinking about. Good stuff. Yeah, that sounds like good stuff. Last year went well for me as well. I've been really pretty clueless in the Kentucky Derby over the last several years, and the Preakness is never a race that I get too involved in from a wagering perspective. It's just real hard usually to see around the top couple choices, even though this year we were incorrect in that fact. But um, but the Belmont, always a wide-open race. Um, last year I was fortunate. I, I I did like Governor Malibu most, and who knows how he would have performed with a better trip, but I did have the creator for second and Destin for third, so I also found a way to do well in that race. It's also red board alert. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, you know, I don't know if I feel that Classic Empire is quite as vulnerable to be out of the try as I did Exaggerator, but, you know, it's another situation where a lot of people are going to land on – Classic Empire, and what my opinion is, is for the wrong reason, a process of elimination type favorite. Um, he certainly has a lot of good things about him, but I don't know if anybody ever looked at this horse and said he's a mile and a half horse. So to me, that's the big wild card in this race, and one that you know a lot of times everyday horse players or serious you know handicappers have been able to take advantage of. So hopefully, um, whether you're going to use them or not, though, you can find some value around them or tossing them, whatever it might be, but but it should be fun. Fun, no doubt, uh, at least, and fun until I'm ripping up tickets, but even then, I mean, it, you know, it's it's the Belmont, it's one of those days we all look forward to, and, you know, why we do what we do, and when you're right, it's it's extra sweet, so hopefully we're we're on that path, and uh, we'll, we'll figure it out, and uh, a few more days to, to do so, and looking forward to, to getting your thoughts as these fields come to light. Me too, Ed. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, my pleasure. Scott Shapiro, everyone. You can find his daily selections for Santa Anita and Indiana Grand at brisnet.com. And uh, are you still there, Scott? I am. You going to do uh, spotlights for Saturday? Definitely. Yeah, they'll be available right. again. I, I, I thought we had shored that up after the derby, but didn't want to say so when that no in. But, uh, so, yeah. They'll also uh, have his picks for uh, Belmont Saturday at BirthNet.com. A bunch of other great stuff, workout reports, et cetera. Um, the link is in the podcast description, free PPs there as well. Uh, so plenty of uh, information to get you started on your handicapping, and we'll be joining you throughout the week. Thanks for uh, listening to us, and join us tomorrow for Episode 2 of How to Bet the Belmont Stakes Podcast.